Uh, what a privilege to be here in the house today to be a part of this collection of talks. They walked with God, and I called shotgun on one, and uh, I'll let you know what that is here in, in just a moment. Um, but I wanted to say first, thank you uh, for continuing uh, your, your prayers, your support of us. Uh, people get confused every once in a while. They see me in Publix, and they say, hey, why aren't you in Ireland yet? And uh, there's two things wrong with that. I just want to clear up. Uh, first of all, uh, geography genius, it is Scotland. I still haven't corrected anybody. By the way, when they just say Ireland, I just go with it. And I'm just, I don't know why. Uh, I, I'll start lovingly uh, correcting people so you know where to find us. But we are planting a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, God has set aside this year as we have prayed uh, for us to raise the funds needed to, to plant this church, to raise prayer support, do all those things. And God is just continuing to come through. It's been so amazing as this story is unfolded. Uh, so many of you are following along in email and prayer and even giving. And if you're not and you'd like to hear more, you can go to takeholdchurch.com. Uh, but to have this church as a sending church is such an incredible blessing. And I'll just say that your reputation goes ahead of you. So everywhere that I have been, the different churches I've spoken at and will continue to through the rest of the year, they say that I am I'm Paul and I am from Westridge Church. And this church has a reputation for being generous and for praying and for doing what they say they'll do and for expanding the kingdom of God. And so I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you and I'm so thankful that we can call this place home. So uh, my wife, my boys and I, we're, we are getting ready. And uh, we've got just a couple more trips before the big move. And those trips are uh, related to Westridge and, and things that you guys are doing to help partner with us. And so we're, we're really, really just so grateful. So if you don't know me, if you haven't been around, you're new to the church, I'm, I'm so excited you're here. You're at the right church, by the way. Uh, I was here for a long time, got to be here from the beginning. God's called us to Scotland. And so that weaves its way into like everything that I'm, I do and say. So forgive me if I talk about Scotland during the, the service and, and during the message I haven't actually written anything out, but a couple things just kind of come to mind while, while you're doing that when, as it applies to that. But I called shotgun on a particular character in Scripture. We've had some, we've had some really great talks over this last, uh, during this series. Blake kicked us off and, and did such a great job. I know you've heard from Pastor James and Pastor Tim and, and others, and it's just been, it's been amazing to listen and to, and to follow along. But Brian did give me first pick. Did you know that? So Brian gave way before Blake, as he should. He gave, me, he gave me first pick. And so I said to Brian, what I want to say to you is that I was actually rereading back over the life of David a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, he took David. He took like the easiest layup in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, but I was rereading the life of David, and I came to a point in the story that honestly just stopped me in my tracks. And I can't wait to get to that point and to share it with you and how it stopped me and what went through my mind during that time. But David is this incredible Old Testament character. Of course, he would be, go on to be known as the greatest king of Israel. But there's a phrase attached to David that you probably know. It is a phrase that has lasted now 3,000 years. It's a phrase that's given to him by the authors of Scripture, really given to him by God himself. You've seen it, you've heard it. It makes its way through the New Testament where we're going to find it in just a few moments. But David, as a man who walked with God, had a particular reputation. 
And that reputation has lasted 3,000 years. And it's an invitation for you today to walk with God. So before David becomes king, a, a guy by the name of Saul is the first king of Israel. And everything's going great with Saul until it doesn't. And basically what happens with Saul is everything's going great when he's doing things God's way, and then he decides to do things his own way, and God says, this is not going to work. I can't entrust my people to you, so I'm going to have someone else come along and be king. And that's, that's what God did. God had David anointed to be king. And right at the point when David is anointed, this phrase is first used about him in 1 Samuel chapter 13, but where I want to show it to you is in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13. It's used a couple times in the New Testament, but it was such a reputation, such a powerful phrase that it stayed with him. And here it is. Acts 13, 22 says this. After removing Saul, he being God, raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, son of Jesse. Here's the phrase. A man after my own heart. And here's what that phrase means. He will carry out my will in its entirety. Today, I want to talk with you about what it means to be a man or a woman with God's own heart, God's own description of his own man in this particular case. But it also becomes an invitation for you to walk with God. There is a particular thing that David practices in his life that's given to us in the Old Testament, a particular thing that he does that causes him to be described this way now for over 3,000 years. It really comes from one particular practice that makes up David's life. And I believe for you today, whether you know God or not, no matter how long you've been following him, if you can be intentional about this particular practice, it can really transform your walk with God, your relationship with Him, and send you on a new trajectory today. I believe it with my whole heart. But to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, what it means is that, according to the Scriptures here, the, the author of Acts, He will carry out my will in its entirety. How did David know God's will? Was it just this like Old Testament thing before we had the Bible written down and God just spoke audibly? And you're probably thinking, that's the ultimate cheat code, right? If God would just say it out loud, if I would just be driving in the car and the traffic is interrupted or the song is interrupted and God would just tell me what to do, then of course I'll do it. I know that there is a willingness to follow God's will, but oftentimes you may feel like you don't know what it is. But with David, there wasn't a cheat code. That's not what happened. That's not why David is described this way. But there is a particular reason why David is described as a man after God's own heart, a regular practice that he had in his life. In fact, if you're not already, it's something that you can put into practice today. And as you do, it will move you to, from a place of maybe some days of uncertainty to confident in God's will each and every day. More than just knowing what to do, you can move from uncertain or even doubtful to confident in your relationship with God, to confident in your standing every single day. That's the invitation of Scripture with the God of the universe, that you can know Him personally and that you can confidently walk with Him. He's not playing hide-and-seek from you today. He wants you to walk 
with him in confidence every single day. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. That's why he rose from the dead, so that we could have a confident relationship with God. Yet too many believers in Jesus, even after they have been saved by grace through faith, they don't have confidence in their relationship. They just operate on cliches and uncertain certainties day after day. But I'm telling you today, you can be confident in your walk with God. You can be a man or woman who walks with God with certainty and confidence today. So this key practice comes in a particular story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. At least this is where it stuck out to me. It actually appears in different points in David's story, but this is the story that stopped me, and I think you'll see why here in just a moment. I'm going to read a few verses to us and just tell you the story by reading the scripture. Here we go. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people with, who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives, this was long ago and it's not okay today, it's a different story, okay? We'll just say that. Uh, we'll, we can talk about it in small group later. <laughs> David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. In this story, David is returning to a town called Ziklag. The important thing to know about this area as you read through David's life and the narrative there, it's in the area where Goliath is from. Do you remember Goliath? Goliath was and then he was no more because of the shepherd boy David and David ends up with kind of this interesting back and forth relationship with the people from the land of Gath at first they really don't want him around but they're a little bit afraid of him and then he starts acting crazy they get more afraid of him and ultimately back and forth with the leaders he makes a home in Ziklag before he's king and so in this case he is home and then he leaves for a time and when he leaves for a time, there is a familiar foe in the Old Testament who show up. They're called the Amalekites. These people are terrorists and cowards. These people prey on the weak. They come and they burn the place to the ground. They take the women and children. These people have been causing problems since the children of Israel left Exodus, left Egypt in the Exodus. There was actually a time where the Amalekites would come along behind the children of Israel as Moses is leading them through the wilderness, and they would pick off the weak at the back of the pack of Israelites leaving and wandering there. So Moses actually had to change and restructure some things because of them. They are a people who have been an enemy for a long time because they strike in moments of weakness. They strike when they really cannot lose, and that's what they have done here. 
They have come in when David and his men have left. They've taken all the women and children. They've taken a bunch of possessions. They have burned the place to the ground. And David, a man after God's heart, finds himself in the middle of something terrible. He cries until he cannot cry anymore. He cries until he has lost all strength. David, the warrior poet and all of his mighty men, they are completely defeated emotionally. The giant killer and all his people are completely spent with hurt and loss. I want you to feel it. There's a good chance you've been there. And you may be wondering, how could this happen to a man after God's own heart? How could he be completely spent, completely exhausted, at a loss, everybody blaming him, people wanting to kill him, and he had done nothing wrong? Listen, walking with God does not provide immunity from hurts. It doesn't provide a force field from challenge and from suffering. But if you walk with him, he will give you wisdom and direction, and God himself will see you through. And that's what happens here. The story continues. David says to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David said to the priest, I'm taking responsibility here. So bring me the ephod. It was this sleeveless linen garment that the priest would wear to go into the presence of God in order to talk to God on behalf of the people. And David said, in this moment, I'm taking the time. I'm going before God. I'm going to create the space. I'm going to do what's necessary. It's going to be me and God, and I am going in to speak to the Lord. Should I pursue? Should I go and attempt to rescue our wives and children? And God said, go. Reading through the life of David, those two verses stopped me in my tracks. If you've been here before, heard me speak before, I've, I've warned you previously, I have a bit of an active imagination while I'm reading Scripture. And my imagination went off after I read these couple of verses here in 1 Samuel 30. And I'm just reading through the life of David like I'm planning on reading a chapter or two this day, and I got through these eight verses and I just stopped. Like, what happened here? Um, a particular movie went through my head. I don't know if you're going to know it, but this is what went through my head as it applied to David. You see, David is a man with a particular set of skills. If your wife or your children have been taken, you either get Liam Neeson or you get David. This is who you come for. I mean, guys, you, you, remember, you remember this movie, right? I mean, this was like, we felt like it was biblical. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he's letting Liam Neeson fulfill it. And he's not being a weird Jedi, like he's being a cool guy. Like we actually can follow along with what he's doing in this moment. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't wait. He doesn't ask any questions. And the movie, it's like, my daughter has been kidnapped. And then in another movie, I think it's wife and daughter. I forget who all gets kidnapped, who all gets taken in this scenario. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't ask questions. He just, go, he just goes and does what needs to be done. David is a warrior. He is a violent man. He is the kind of man 
that can just go and do what needs to be done. But instead, David stops and he does something that I did not expect. David inquired of God. It's absolutely transformative. Changes the way that I understood David's life and what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, what it means to be someone who walks with God. There are lots of different aspects to prayer. There's to to bless God, which is to show gratitude, thanksgiving for something that he's done, a prayer that he's answered. There's worship, including worship and admiration to God in prayer. That's so important. There's petition. There's contemplation. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that with thanksgiving, we should make our requests known to God. Listen, all of those things are vital. But David does not put on the priestly garments in this particular case to write a new psalm or to give God a new prayer request. No, David went to God to ask a question. What do you want me to do? David inquired of God. In a circumstance where it seems obvious, in a circumstance where David has all the ability and all the firepower and all that he needs to do what needs to be done, David stops and asks of God. David inquired of God. What does this mean? Well, to inquire is to be curious. It's to investigate. And this is important. It's to, if you're going to be a good investigator, assume nothing. Have no confirmation bias. Even when you believe the answer is so obvious to you, stop and inquire of God. To be a man or woman with God who walks with God with confidence that you know His will, we have to ask Him questions. We have to stop bringing him our list like we're providing him some vital information that he does not have. Because he knows and sees it all. And he loves and cares about you. He knows your hurts. He knows your sufferings. He knows your needs. He knows it all. But the invitation is not only to bring him our petition and our request. The invitation is to be in his presence and to inquire of him, to ask questions of him. What do questions do? What do questions do? Questions create space. Questions create space. David said, I'm putting on the ephod, and I'm going into his presence. I'm going into the space with God. And what's intimated here is that he's going to go and he's going to be in God's presence as long as he needs to be there to find out exactly what it is, what God God wants him to do. Questions create space. If asked properly, questions actually create a blank space. I mean, do you have anyone in your life who asks questions and then they don't create a blank space? You may be sitting next to them. They may be your roommate. You may be married to them. I'm not sure. They ask a question and then answer their own question. Do you know these people? Do you have anyone in your life that asks questions like this? So what would we like to eat? 
what would we like to eat for lunch today? The first giveaway, by the way, in this particular scenario is the use of the word we. Because what we think we should do, they've already, where do you think we'd like to eat? Because we, what we think we should do, just go ahead and answer their own question. We think we'd like to go here so we can have this. Plus, we are on Keto, Paleo, Atkins, and we're counting our macros, and we know that we can go there and have exactly what we need. I can get something there. And listen, it's not that they're trying to be rude. It's just that they already have their mind made up. What about the friend that's clearly, they're listening to you talk, but they clearly already have in their mind what they're going to say? You're probably not married to this person, but my wife is. Already have it made up in their mind. It has to practice on being a better listener. Because it looks like you're being polite. It looks like that you're being patient. It looks like you're having good manners because you're not interrupting. But you can tell they're glazed over and they're just waiting for you to take a deep enough breath, breath so they can enter in exactly what they think you need to hear. But we, whoa, somebody's. <laughs> Spirit's moving. I prayed for that. That's good. We have to bring questions to create space. But if you're going to create space, you bring questions and then you keep your mouth shut. Questions create a blank space for God to fill. And you'll never know His will. You'll never be able to fulfill His will and His agenda for your life if you're always giving Him the request and the answers. But questions create a blank space that He can fill in any way that He wants to fill it. And there's a difference in questioning and asking questions. Oftentimes when we're questioning, we use the word why. Why, God? Why would you allow this to happen? Why? can't I catch a break? Why aren't things going my way? Why does everything seem to be going their way? Why are bad things happening? Why is there suffering? Sometimes it's disrespectful, but let me be honest. The why question, God does not have a problem with why. In fact, sometimes why is just how we express our most raw emotions of anger and frustration, and we've got to just let it out, and God is okay with that. But let me just tell you, the word why in a world tainted by sin and suffering and brokenness is never going to have an answer that's going to be enough. Questioning will only take you so far. So instead of questioning, we ask questions. And questions often don't use the word why in this case, but they use words like what or how. In your relationship with God, how do you bring your request to Him? Like you're providing him some vital piece of information he didn't know? Or like you really need to know, God, what would you have me do? God, I lost my job this week. Bills are coming in. What would you have me do? God, you know there was a, a death in the house down the street. I didn't know, I don't know that family as well as I would like to, but I kind of sense you want me to, to do something here, but instead of already figuring you know what it is he wants you to do, inquire of God, God, what is it that you want me to do to share your care and your kindness with these people? Whatever it is. God, I know you love my kids. God, you know they're making choices I wish they wouldn't. I, you know they're off the rails. God, as their parent, as the one that you have 
given the opportunity to steward their lives and point them to you, God, what am I supposed to say? God, what is it that you want me to do? God, you know. This person hurt and betrayed me, and they are bad-talking about me all around our circle of influence. God, you know what I want to do. Help me. God, how am I supposed to respond to these people who are hurting me so much? Is there anything I should do? David wrote in Psalm chapter 20, verse 1, he says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Listen to this now. The scripture doesn't say, may you get your answer. May you get what you already feel like you need and want from God. But rather, the scriptures say that God himself will answer you. He will give you his answer. He will protect. He will do what only he can do in the way that only he can. As this story progresses in 1 Samuel chapter 30, God says to David, go, pursue, go, take care of business here. And again, it's ancient world, so what happens here in the next couple of verses may be kind of hard to understand, but again, we can, we can talk about that another time. I just want to tell you how the story unfolds. David and his 600 men, they go after the Amalekites. And it just so happened that one of their servants was an Egyptian who basically got sick along the way, some type of food poisoning or something, and he just couldn't keep going and so he lags behind. Even while David is inquiring of God, God is already unfolding the plan. Isn't that amazing? This guy is, is left behind. They come up onto this particular man, and David finds out from him where the Amalekites are. All along the way, they had struggles. A third, 200 of David's men were too exhausted to keep going. This is really unusual from these mighty strong men that are written about throughout the Old Testament. They must have been so worried and concerned for their wives and their children that they were mentally and emotionally spent. But they didn't turn back. They kept running into things along the way, telling them to keep going. God's going to fulfill what he has told David that he would do. Listen, when you don't know the answers or what to do, God is already working. Some of you are in that space today, and I want you to know when you don't know the answers or what to do, God is already working. Having a plan doesn't mean that there will not be setbacks and challenges. David lost a third of his army, but it does mean that God will see it through. They tracked down the Amalekites while they were celebrating their victory, really taunting David and his men. And let's just say, that David got to be a warrior again. And God had given him permission to carry out vengeance. The scriptures say that from twilight until evening the next day, David slaughtered those men. They experienced a huge victory. They got back both his wives, including the one he loved the most, which we don't know who that was. That was a joke. They got back every wife, every child, every possession, but here's what happened. Word spread throughout the region of what happened. It was the last great victory that is recorded in Scripture that David has right before King Saul and his son Jonathan are killed in battle. 
it was a great setup to put in motion for David to become king. Not only does God work when we don't see it, but he's working a greater plan than we could ever come up with. Psalm 20, verse 4, David writes about this again. He says, May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill your whole purpose. You may not, probably don't even know what the whole purpose for your life is. You say, how am I going to make sure that I stand before God and fulfill all that he had for me one day? You inquire of God. You create space. You create space for him to fill, for him to do the things that only he could do. This phrase, David inquired of God, appears nine different times throughout the narrative of David's life. I want to point out a couple more things about how David inquired of God, and then we're going to look at what Jesus says about this, and we'll close. There's a couple of different times this phrase, David inquired of God, happens in the space of a couple of verses. I want to show you one of them. It's basically David asking God, are you serious? You ever done this? Feel like you know exactly what God wants you to do, who he wants you to talk to, how he wants you to do it, and then you're just like, uh, eh, do you, do you get, let's pray about this some more. David has this moment. 1 Samuel 23, Dave, now they told David, behold, the Philistines, who are not cowards like the Amalekites, they are warriors, they just get in your face. The Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. They're taking the harvest. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? It should be obvious. They're taking the harvest. We're going to starve if these people take the harvest. It should be obvious. David, you're a warrior. Just do it. And the Lord said to David, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, his mighty men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. Nowhere near where the battle is. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So David, what does he do? David inquires of the Lord again. And the Lord answers him kindly. He doesn't like say, didn't I already tell you this? He just answers him again. Arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Let me just give you permission to inquire of the Lord and to keep inquiring even when what he says you are not sure you are capable of or not sure you want to do. Did I tell you what God's invited our family to do? plant a church in Edinburgh, Scotland, sell most everything we have and, and move the end of this year, first part of 2023. Can I just tell Do you not think I have asked God, are you serious about 17 times? Are you, are you serious? This is the answer to the prayer because we were asking God questions. You've heard the story. We're standing on a hillside outside the city saying, God, why are we here? What do you want us to do? And when he finally answered, it took us a while to go, for real? This is what you want us to do? And listen, David's guys in this story, they are afraid because there's not very many of them. And the Philistines are, pretty, are a pretty ruthless bunch. So in their fear, they say, David, go ask God again in the hope that he will give a different answer, send a different army. God answered, they stepped into his will, they obeyed, and they won the battle. Listen, can I just tell you, a little healthy fear and anxiety is not an entirely bad thing when it comes to obeying the will of God. At least that's what they tell me. Because it just makes you even more dependent on Him, more dependent on Him than you've ever been. In fact, it may provide the intensity 
that causes you to finally go all in with your life, with whatever it is he's asking you to do, because you are so determined that this time you are going to completely fulfill and entirely fulfill the will of God. Why? Because at the end of the day, when I stand before Jesus, not only do I want to hear good and faithful servant, I want to hear that's a man or woman who was after my very own heart. Whatever I showed them to do, they did in its entirety. They trusted me to see it through. Going to God with questions creates space for him to fill. But can I just, I want to caution you on this. Going to God with questions does not guarantee perfect timing. In fact, it's not like a way to unlock your perfect timing, especially. David's practice of consistently inquiring of God gave him more insight into waiting, I think, than any other author. And sometimes the hardest thing about asking that question and creating that space is to wait for the answer. Have you ever sat with a good counselor and they ask you a question and they don't answer the question for you? In fact, they ask you a question and you may notice they've got their coffee or their water. Maybe you've done this as a parent with your kids, I don't know. You ask a question and instead of just filling the space, you give it a minute. It's okay. I'll wait. Would you say something already? You ever feel that way about God? But in the waiting, sometimes the hardest thing about asking a question is to wait for the answer. The blank space can be a challenging time. David says this in Psalm 27, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's what he says. Wait patiently for the Lord. And in your waiting, be strong and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. This is what happens so often. Circumstances unfold in a way that we don't understand or can't explain and we get embarrassed, and maybe we start to feel like we did something wrong. We feel the gaze of everybody else, but we have to hold on and trust the character and nature of God in the waiting that He is unfolding a better story than we or anyone else could come up with. And we put our yes on the table and our yes on the road, and we trust Him to unfold the impossible. I've learned to be okay with not having all the answers because I know the one who does. In fact, I've learned to not only be okay with not having all the answers, I've learned to be okay with not even having an answer. But inquiring of God. Jesus talked about this in a familiar passage. I want to finish with these thoughts from him. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You may have heard some teaching around these scriptures before. I've taught it before. You may know that in this passage, the way that Jesus uses the word ask, seek, and knock, it just means keep coming over and over again. Ask, 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 seek, 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 knock, knock, knock. Ask, and it will be given. Ask, and it will be given. What will be given? Whatever I want? No, what will be given will be God's answer. Maybe not your answer, but God's answer. If you want to know God's will, when you inquire of God, you have to stop asking with your answer already in mind. Create a blank space that only God can fill. Let me just ask you this. 
Would you dare to believe that God's answers and God's ideas might be better than yours? About even the smallest of things. We often tell God what we want rather than asking what he wants. Create a space that only God can fill. Seek and you'll find, Jesus says. It's the same word. It's an investigation. It's an investigation without having anything predetermined yet. In fact, this word seek in the Greek is the Hebrew equivalent to what David does, inquiring of God. It means to get to the bottom of the matter, to keep seeking until you know exactly what it is you're supposed to do, and then go after it with your whole heart, and then knock, and it will be open. And this word for knock, it grows with intensity. Knock, knock, knock. I don't know what to do yet. Just knock louder. Keep coming over and over and over again. And they don't have doorbells, so the, the visual that goes with this with this verse and with this word is to like take your walking stick and just start banging on the door until you get an answer. And the great thing is, is that who answers you on the other side is God himself with his answer, and it's better than you could even ask for or imagine. Jesus is inviting you to come to him. And the most courageous and selfless thing you can do with your life is to inquire of God and to create a blank space for him to fill. You can walk with God if you want to. If you want to. If you'll stop telling him what it looks like for you to walk with him. And I'll invite him to show you what can this life look like. You'll unlock not your possibilities, but his possibilities. Inquiring of God does something else so important. To inquire of God is to surrender. When you inquire of God, when you create space for him to fill, you're saying to him, I don't have it all figured out. God, I've got an idea, but I want your idea. When you surrender to him, you're saying, you're completely in charge of my life. Whatever you want to do with my family, with my job, with my future, with my finances, whatever it is, God, you speak. Oh, he speaks through his word. When you inquire of God, you open his word. He speaks through his word. The, the words come off the page. You're not just checking the box anymore, reading the text. Oh, sometimes he speaks in that still small voice. Sometimes he speaks through others. But at the end of the day, what inquiring of God does more than anything else is it surrenders your life to the point where it's, God, all I want is what you want. God, all I want is you. You ask for less, and you just long for him more. And you begin to move every single day, even in circumstances that don't make sense to others with complete confidence that you 
are in his will. And he will fulfill the entirety of everything he has asked you to do. You can be a man or woman who walks with God. And 3,000 years from now, we will say, you were a person after God's very own heart. Would you bow your head with me? We're going to create a little bit of space here, the remaining time we've got. Sharing with Jason what I'd be talking about today and the thoughts that God had laid on my heart and God laid a song on his heart that I think is just incredibly appropriate today. And let's have this moment of application, maybe even transformation for somebody in the room that just extends it a little bit further. I hope you'll lean into these next few moments as we try to create a little space. What do you need to ask God about in this time? If we were to say, not David inquired of God, but insert your name, you inquired of God, what are you inquiring about today? It's an invitation to walk with him, maybe in a way that you're not yet doing at this point. If you're here today and you don't know God personally, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God sent his only son whose only mission was to come and to pay for your sins, to pay for the things that keep you away from God because God loves you with an everlasting love. He wants a relationship with you. So Jesus came, he died, he paid our sin debt, and then he rose from the dead so that we could take hold of life that's truly life. That's what God wants for you. He wants to unlock your life, not him you in. He wants you to have his very best. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's message. If you want to dig deeper into what you just heard, consider checking out our Next Steps podcast. Every Monday, we'll have a practical conversation surrounding Sunday's message and talk through how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or you're a longtime follower of Christ, there's a next step to take in your own story. Just search for Westridge Church Next Steps Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit westridge.com backslash podcast.